this, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Wad Matcha, Rebound and Safety. Today it's episode three of the quarterly co-host. That means we're saying goodbye to Mr. Jenkins. Let's jump into the intro and I'll tell you more about today's episode. Let's go. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution or one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviors. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risplit. What's up peeps, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is a YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin so if you're new here hit subscribe hit the bell blah 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 i'm your host james mcpherson from the company risk fluent limited so if you need any health safety fire or cultural change human factory type support then check out riskfluentltd.com and let's have a chat or if you want you can just email me james at riskfluentltd.com all the links in the description below today is episode three of our quarterly co-host so we are saying goodbye to mr jenkins hope you've enjoyed episode one and two if you're listening to episode three and you haven't listened to one and two don't be that guy like you're not that guy pal you're not that guy don't be that guy go back listen to one listen to two listen and then come and listen to three this is the one we've been looking forward to the general kind of a conversation about the, the the state of our profession i suppose um i've i've pondered on this episode this conversation cause we recorded it quite a while ago i've pondered on it quite a lot since then um so have a listen let me know your thoughts drop me an email dm me on linkedin whatever um but i hope you enjoy the episode let's get into it hi mate welcome back episode three of the, your quarterly co-host thank you very much thank you for coming back <laughs> <laughs> No, very, very much appreciated. The first two have been an absolute blast. So I've been looking forward to this uh, third and final episode. I can hardly believe that we've got three episodes in now as well. I mean, by the time that this comes out, it'll be what, December as well. It will actually, yeah. When this blimey time... days, blimey days. But I mean, we're recording this now, what, in the end of September. And I'll be honest with you, the big jumper is already out. The big coat is on standby. Mm-hmm. I can only... It's only going to get, yeah, it's going to be chilly. It's going to be cold. Wherever you are listening to this right now, I hope you're warm and ready. We, we certainly are. We had the fire on last night. Oh, uh, did you? Yeah, uh, we, we bulk ordered a load of logs. And um, to be honest, since the logs have got here, I've been kind of like, I want to do a fire now. So, yeah, we put a fire on yesterday. And I was like, it's September. Why have I got the fire on? Like, what the <laughs> f- So, yeah, I'm with you, mate. And fluffy blankets and jumpers and fires are all out now. Absolutely, absolutely. Honestly, I'm really looking forward to listening back to this. Big fluffy jumper, big fluffy coat, glass of red wine in front of the fire. Whoa. I said that last night when you had the fire on. I said, there's only missing one thing now. is a glass of red wine. That's all we need. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, for sure. Oh yeah, feeling very wintry. It felt very autumnal today, actually. Some of the leaves are starting to go golden and brown. Um, so it's definitely, yeah, I'm feeling very, very wintry. I'm, I'm ready for winter now, actually. Yeah, good, good. Mm. I'm ready for the hot chocolates and the gingerbread lattes. Honestly, can't wait. I appreciate how basic that might make me sound, but, but I don't care. I love them. Absolutely love them. 
Sherry well. loves winter. Like Sherry's like a winter person. And I went, I went to the <clears throat> watch the rugby on Saturday when I got some tickets to go to Franco's Gardens. And um Sherry was like, Oh, it was just um I was like, I don't know what jacket to wear. Like it's not really cold, but I need a jacket, but I don't want to not have a jacket. What if I need? And then Sherry's like, oh, just well, like a woolly hat and a scarf. I was like, I know you want winter to come, Sherry, but, <laughs> but it's not here yet. It's not a woolly hat time. But I have noticed that the woolly hat basket has has, has moved from the shelf above the wardrobe to now now in the landing. So it's it's making it's it. It's getting ready. It's getting ready. Yeah. So I think someone's willing the winter on more than anything. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, mate. Um, firstly, do you want to let so introduce yourself, and then maybe just summarise what we were talking about in episode one and two, um, and then introduce the concept of episode three, and then we'll get into it. Yeah, of course. So, uh, welcome back for those who've been listening to episode one and or episode two, and welcome to those who were just joining in for the start of episode three. Um, we've covered quite a bit over the first couple of episodes. So in the first episode, we covered personal branding, but really looking at the personal in personal branding, coming to the conclusion that it's actually quite difficult to really kind of define exactly what your personal brand is and how we can really make it work and how ultimately we can try and, try and structure a personal brand to get to the outcomes that we want quickly and effectively. It takes time, it takes effort, but it ultimately is absolutely worth it. The second episode, we dived into procedure and initiative branding. So really asking the question, oh, well, what is it, first of all? Then we dived into a bit around scalable frameworks, user experience, and just had a really good chat about how we can potentially start to brand what we do on a day-to-day -day basis to make it really effective. Now, this episode I appreciate has been a little bit bigged up, both for episode one and episode two. And this is very much where we talk about what's wrong with the contemporary brands of safety. Now, what I will say is that this is not going to be a Statler and Waldorf approach to discussing safety. And for those who don't know who those two people are, they aren't hotel chains. But if you cast your mind back to the Muppets and think of two very grumpy old men sat on top of the booths that are looking like kind of down into the theater, constantly trolling since the early mid seventies, that's them. And we're definitely not going to do that today. There might be a little bit of it, but it won't be the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So who am I then? Who am I? Well, my name is Peter Jenkins, and currently I'm a group health and safety manager at DL Limited. So we basically do dry spice blends, seasoning sources, all of that really nice, tasty stuff for wider food manufacturers, retailers, and kind of just basically your local butchers all across the United Kingdom. I've been in this role since March 2021 as my first group health and safety manager role. I've learned a lot, made a few mistakes, also done some really cool stuff as well and won a couple of awards along the way. So it's given me a great pleasure to be here today to finally kind of have this chance to dive into safety, what we can potentially do about it to make it a little better, hey, even if we need to do that, but fundamentally diving into what the problems are. Nice. I, I liked your little warning there, like, James, this is not going to be a rant for about... <laughs> I know when I started rebranding safety, I was a very angry little man, um, but I have I have toned it in, Pete. Like, I felt like you were talking to me more than you were yourself when you James, said... James, I, I, I would not doubt for a second that if I gave you the unbridled and unrestricted and unedited opportunity to just absolutely lay into everything... 
that it would be an absolute, just unbelievable experience. But I appreciate that I need to get past 45 minutes <laughs> and that we don't want to keep it going until like three hours. So that's very true. We will we'll keep it. We'll keep it. Keep it in the reins. We'll keep a leash on it for sure. What? What? What would you? What would you say is the brand of safety outside of safety? So, how would you think that people who are not in safety perceive the brand of safety? Do you know that is it's a great question and. In, in some ways, it might be worth us kind of just asking the first half of that question first and say, well, what, what is a brand, right, in the context of what we're going to talk about? So the, the definition that I reckon we can go with here is it's the sum of the ways that a product, company, or individual is perceived by those who experience it. Now, in, in this vein, then, when we think about the second half of that and think about, okay, well, what's the safety part of the question? Well, Actually, it's really bloody complicated, right? Gen genuinely is. So when we say safety, or let's say health and safety for a second, and what's wrong with health and safety, what's wrong with the brand of safety, but what's wrong with health and safety explicitly? Are we talking about safety work, the work of safety, the profession of safety, the professionals in safety, the professional bodies in safety? And then when we think about that, are we actually thinking about the demography, the price, industry, physical location, platform, problems, distributions? I mean, fundamentally, when we ask a question and say, OK, well, what's what's with the what's with the brand of safety at the moment? But, yeah, that can mean so much to so many people. And it can be such a unique perception based on what type of avenues that they're kind of looking at through what lenses they're looking at from what we've just described that actually i don't know if it's achievable to give one answer that everyone could agree with what do you reckon yeah like it's personal based off your interactions and engagements with with safety but um, i don't know yeah i think i think we have do we do we have to i'm trying to think like do we have to yeah we spoke before about like internal customers a lot my customers are customers like i'm a consultant mm. your customers are like you're like an internal consultant in a way your customers are internal customers Absolutely. but but still we we all still have customers um so i think if we were talking about our brand, it should ultimately be the focus of what is a brand according to the people that we're trying to serve. Yes. Yeah. What? What? How? How do they perceive you? Yeah. And and really, I think for a lot of internal safety professionals, that perception tends to be through the activities, right, that happen and the actions of specifically in most cases, one person, and that tends to be the health and safety manager of a particular site, a location, or a business, if there isn't a kind of like really big hierarchy where, you know, you, you've got kind of like a million safety advisors type of stuff and, and it kind of like attributes to a bunch of different people at once. So well, I'd say that it, it tends to be just, just the actions of that one person. But also like sometimes safety is communicated outside of the realms of safety so like if you get 
I don't know. I remember I, I'm actually doing a keynote this week and I, I used this exact, I screenshotted an Instagram mm-hmm. story and I used this in my keynote. So this was a marketing, um, this marketing material, an Instagram story by, mm-hmm. I don't know, Institute of Trades or something. And it was trying to promote apprenticeships. And the, the, the young man in the pre- apprenticeship is like, in a what looks like a finished house, uh, mm. maybe pretending, totally pretending, to adjust a washer at the bottom of a, or a bolt or something underneath the boiler. Hard hat, high vis, big full like covered goggles on, like, and I'm just like, what plumber or gas build gas engineer? I suppose is the best way to call them. Have you ever seen wearing all that stuff? And is that stuff reasonable or practicable? Has a safety professional told you that that needs to be on your advert? I don't think they have. That was the marketing department going, oh, you know, we better make sure that we're pretending that we're safe when you're an apprenticeship. Like, and I just think that's not helpful to our brand. Absolutely. And and this linking it back to what we kind of covered in, in the first episode as well. We talked a, a bit there about perceptions cognitions and actions so what do we feel what do we think and what do we do and whenever someone says right in in your mind's eye think think of safety the first thing that tends to come to mind will most likely be high-vis jacket hard hat safety boots that's safety that's 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 safety that that's my image of safety i asked a um an ai generate an image generator called Dali and I asked it okay just just literally simple simple prompt based on all of the information all of the aggregated data images descriptions that it's got and I said uh, a safety professional and it literally put out a an image of a 50 to 60 year old white male with a beard safety glasses that were sort of like sun shaded an orange hard hat and a yellow high vis. No way. Did you I, send this? I haven't seen this. I think I think I put it in the in the PM group at one point. I think I did. I don't think I'll put it on a, on a public one. But the the description, or, or perhaps the the image that's generated when someone just says, "Right, tell me what prompt is for someone that is it's not human, right? It's literally just gathering all of this aggregated data, all this aggregated information, and it brings up what is arguably an unfair stereotype in some ways, but perhaps a fair perception based on on people's experiences with Mm -hmm. safety. So then perhaps the other side of the coin in some ways is that when we're saying describe safety and we're thinking or describe a safety professional, right, or describe just safety generally speaking, the general things that tend to come up are things like clipboards, pens, uh, what do you call it, hearing protection, hard hats, high-vis type of stuff, right? Yeah. But outside of my community and network of safety professionals, the people that I actually know that do safety work a lot are people like operations managers, yeah. like factory workers, accountants, creatives, people that go out and do field work. Like literally, they they do not look like that that traditional version of a safety professional they 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 don't it's almost impossible to describe what they look like because they just look human <laughs> they, 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 they do they, they, they literally just look human 
And I'd say that there's almost this kind of like quiet majority in safety and doing safety that isn't actually considered in the brand of safety. But they're a massive unheard voice. Now, all these people aren't safety professionals, but they do the work of safety and they do safety work every single day. So in so facto is the is the brand of the safety profession different from the brand of safety so if if they're doing safety work mm. does that mean that they see what we do not as safety work based off what you just said that's a hell of a question Oh, it's a hell of a question. I, I honestly think that they do, but I don't think it's because of like cognitive dissonance or anything that's sort of like willfully or meaningfully sort of pushing the two apart. You know, I, I think deep down that the fundamental common denominator is they're doing things that protect health and enhance safety, like generally speaking. But mm. the label, the tag, the description that's kind of attached to it, it doesn't doesn't have safety written on it. Yeah, and I think that that's that's where the difference is for a lot of a lot of that stuff, and that's why I don't think this kind of like this uh, unheard majority or kind of like unidentified majority do see themselves as being safety professionals or having some form of professional basis around safety because that's not their job, that's not what they they do, that's not their outcomes, right? That it's just it's just part of what they do. Because mm. so many times, dealer, well, we we deal, we talk to a lot of small business owners, like medium, small, medium, I don't know, whatever. But mm. like it's business owners or or operational people is like the, our main contact normally within the business. And it's really interesting that the the first retained client we ever signed um, said to us, I was in a meeting with them, and they said, oh, do you know what? It's so refreshing to talk to a safety professional that's like a normal human being, James. I was like, <laughs> I was like complimented, obviously, yeah. but like at the same time, I was kind of like, I know fucking loads of people like me that like do safety to normal, normal human beings and do safety to a good, a good standard, um, and have my ethos of safety. Um, I was like, mm. ah, so can I can I jump in? I'll jump in for a sec, right? So where do you think that individual, that customer, got their experience or their opinion, their perceptions, their their, their feelings and their thoughts about mm. safety professionals? Where do you think that was formulated from? Well, they, they told me um, that they... So they had they had a safety professional in the business, which he, who they didn't have a problem with. Um, but they 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 came to a conclusion that just wasn't enough work for a full time role or really even a part time role. It was more a consultant's position, which is quite common for a medium sized business. Um, but they never have a problem with that person. I, my initial thoughts was that they obviously employed some bloody jobs worth or something, but it wasn't. It was like. Um, they're in like the construction industry. It was kind of like they told the story of like a company that they're interacting with from a very prominent uh, consultant within the consultancy within the UK. Mm. That that person was very much like, and to use the very common 
analogy, ah, health and safety. That was <laughs> how they kind of communicated it. So yeah. they were like, when we we knew that, they, and they said, when we knew, like, oh God, the, my main contact, she's a great laugh. And she was like, oh, when I got the invite, being like, oh, we're just going to go on this call and talk to the safety. She was like, oh God, oh God. And like that, that's the perception of, of me and you yeah. and everyone else that we know. And, and they said it was from an interaction that they'd had with another safety professional. Interesting. And and so a part of me kind of wonders in some ways, is do a few bad apples spoil the bunch? And in some respects, does the majority of businesses who are, for example, on that small to medium level, only experience cherry-picked versions of safety because they will only ever engage with maybe one or two consultants while they're growing. So their experience to the pool of safety professionals for like five or six years might only be one or two people. Mm. And actually, as a result of that, their first-hand perceptions and cognitions and actions around safety can be massively skewed and perhaps very unfairly biased towards yeah, just as well. exactly exactly yeah. so where for example like you and i we naturally within our networks on linkedin as kind of perhaps i'm, I'm going to call us and refer to us here as just safety professionals for a second but within our network of fellow safety professionals we see a huge range of approaches to safety we've got like this massive olympic size swimming pool worth of safety professionals that we're connected with on LinkedIn, that we're part of networks with, that we see at trade shows. But those small and medium enterprises aren't on that same LinkedIn network. They don't go to those same type of trade shows. They don't come to the, the webinars. They don't engage with that because, well, why, why, why would they? <laughs> why, why would they? They've got no real need to. They, they have the need or the problem based around safety and they identify a consultant or consultancy to help them with it but they so, must be more than a few bad apples because i hear the sound well i was with a different a different company this morning in a meeting with them and they said oh our safety professional we'd previously engaged with um and he kind of said that it made me feel like the guy was the interactions with the guy was basically like i don't i don't really care if you go out of business as long as you're a safe business well, you're not a business, so you can't. You're not a business to wow. be if you go bust. So I was just like, like no business owner. All right, Mister, that's enough, Bob. I'll, yeah, I'll flush you later. Go on, go, go, please, go. On. Um, it was my fault. I started fussing him, and then that was it. He just wanted more. Um, like no business owner is going to re- relate to that or engage with that. If I was to say. I was to say, oh, I don't, I don't care what happens financially, um, but, but safety is, is, is everything. And I just find out there's too many stories. There's too many stories like that for it to not be true. However, you know, there's loads of, you know, I don't know if you ever heard of it, but one of my 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 favorite think phenomenons, I suppose, in in the human world is the Mandela effect. Have you ever heard of that? Um, I, I think I have, but please let go, go, let me know. So, what does what does Darth Vader say to to Luke? Oh, yes, yeah. It's it's, it's the it's the Bernstein Bears theory, yeah. So, it's uh, well, it's, isn't it, Luke? I am your father, but 
is he, doesn't, he doesn't say that. He says, no, I am your father. If you imagine the Monopoly man, does he have a monocle? Everyone says, yes, he doesn't have a monocle. So it came from the apparently a large part of the nation at one point, of the world, sorry, at one point for thought that Mandela was dead when he wasn't dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a false memory. So it's very easy for us to insert a false memory into our head. So if that's possible, if I can literally imagine something that never happened, yeah, never happened, and then you combine that with, you know, urban myths and uh, like loads of, you know, just do these things that spread and these things that are like, it was one safety professional many years ago, did something that was perceived as over the top. And that story just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But there's too many stories of people that say they've interacted with a person that was like, "Eh, help them, thank you. And then also I experienced it myself with people like that as well. I think it's, it's a fair point and it's a very, it's an interesting point you're saying there about the kind of the group think mentality attached to the Mandela effect as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I get that you're saying that with the businesses that you've engaged with, there's a big kind of wave of first person experience. They they themselves have experienced a proper jobs worth or, or someone that perhaps isn't progressive with health and safety um, to, to kind of really see what's currently out there or kind of to, to push a different narrative within safety than the traditional people are the problem type of approach is it, so got, think, um sorry i'm interrupting it but do you think the one thing i wonder is like i'm quite young as a hmm. as a consultant so typically if most people join safety as second career and then their consultancy typically becomes as, as a self-employed consultant some people have a, a job with one of the bigger companies but as a self-employed consultant if you imagine the majority of historically people would be second career into safety and then kind of move into consultancy towards the tail end of their career. So they're of a generation of safety, not a generation of the, of the people like e.g. Gen Z and all of that stuff, but like a generation of safety. And now to think maybe it's a time thing, like these businesses, to your point, might only interact with a safety professional once in their or one professional for their entire career. So it's a very, it's a very good point that the short answer that I would say that should solve that is CPD. Because mm. in theory, in theory, even if you are a, a, of an older generation of safety professional, the CPD that you do every single year to keep up your professional accreditation should introduce should in theory introduce progressive and updated information approaches engagements that should change your approach to align to best practice right in, in theory in theory yeah. but in theory but literally from everything that you've just described there does it actually happen well maybe not and actually to do safety you don't need to be accredited you don't need to to have like a, a post-nominal and keep up cpd anywhere in the world as far as i sorry certainly within the uk perhaps it's a little bit broad for me to say anywhere in the world um so within the uk especially you you know you you don't need to right and anyone in theory can be a safety consultant right it's fundamentally it should be a matter of competence more than anything so a part of me does wonder 
bringing it back just to that point on that first person experience if the people that have experienced the what we're going to refer to here is a non-progressive safety right in that ways perhaps have they known what questions to ask or have they known how to define their problem in a way that would give them access to more or perhaps just to different types of safety professional different generations of safety professional that could change their outcomes or outputs to be something not only to meet what they want and what they need but to go beyond that as well so you're saying like have had they haven't been exposed to any kind of cognitive diversity in a way any different people thinking different ways exactly yeah. and and if if we were to try and just provide that point of access well at the moment where, where would we send them to mm. currently i've been honest with you i i couldn't tell you if one of my mates said hey can you just I, i'm starting up a small business i've got six employees i really need to start doing some risk assessment stuff i've got no idea where to start i want to get a consultant come in can you just tell me somewhere that i can go and have a look through a list of consultants pop in a couple of things just to say what i want see who they are what they're about and i'll pick one. Oh right i see what you mean um so you you've got the OSHCR or whatever it is, uh, hmm. OSH run list of consultants. But again, it's, it's, it was very. I I can't go on it. I I I don't. I'm not chartered, so I okay. Yeah. Spat my dummy out. And refuse to be chartered. Uh, so I cannot make that that list. Um, not chartered, but you are obviously you are competent though. Yeah, yeah, but to your point, uh, we're not a regulated profession, so I don't yeah. have to be chartered to do what I need to do. So very true. Yeah, very true. I, just, I just choose not to. Uh, I just choose not to pay that certain organisation money, uh, just for personal experiences, basically. Fair enough. Um, so there is that. I suspect there's probably like a checker trade type thing out there. Like I assume you got um, what's it called? What's it called? What, Sherry, what was that thing that we went on back? Was that it? Where you put your services in and they yeah. try and connect you, yeah. There's things like Bark, um, I think it's called, and there's a couple of things where it's kind of like um it's more freelancy type stuff, but like typically if I'm a per, if I'm a small business, I might put on there looking for health and safety services, send, and there's loads of businesses that have logged into it, um, and they'll monitor it and they'll connect with you. So you could do that. My experience with it is it's pretty shite, but it's um there there i think there are things out there it's just the quality of said things mm. to my point about bark really I, and do you know I, I haven't experienced it myself so i can't necessarily kind of pass too much comment on it but what i would certainly love to see is something like that that is actively just used and celebrated by the small and medium enterprise community and by kind of those micro businesses, small businesses that want to have some safety support, but want to have the freedom of choice and the empowerment to know that actually what they're going for isn't just going to be, well, it, it will it will meet their needs really from that point of view without necessarily being unethical. And that isn't to say that people and professionals that are offering certain parts of advice or initiatives or activities are unethical. I do just wonder that in such an unregulated environment. Ethics is about perception. Well. <laughs> for many of us. 
That that is very true. You know, I, I'd love to get Simon's thoughts on it <laughs> as well. I really, really gen- genuinely would, genuinely would, because there is there's a lot to unpack there about actually what what does the structure of a support aggregate service for consultants or health and safety professionals what would that even look like who Mm. would set the rules who would define what's progressive what's not progressive what's traditional what's emergent oh oh geez well i mean if you if you were to like some i don't know i'd bounce back and forth on this but like if you were to look at what's now called as like new safety or progressive safety, like uh, for me, I just feel like it's safety as originally intended. Like it's, it's the closest we probably got to actually discussing the original intention of this 1974 act, Hmm. like reasonable and practicable risk management. Like it was never meant to be what people perceive it as. Um, and I think perceptions, in my opinion, have predominantly come from practice um, and and people's actual interaction with safety. I, again, c- completely agree with you. And for, for what it's worth, I, 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 I'll tell you a little story. So this last week, I had a, an engagement in a, an IOSH branch meeting, right? and it was with a, another committee member who genuinely gave me a sleepless night with this conversation that we had. So he said, he asked me a really simple question, right? And he said, I want you to tell me the hazard, right? In this situation, he said, so first of all, can t- tell me what a hazard is, right? So for the purposes of this, James, indulge me for a second. What, what's, what's a hazard? Don't fucking test me. I'll get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we let it out. We'll let it out. It's fine. Manically Google's hazard. <laughs> description of hazard something with the potential to cause harm right so that that's like your, your standard definition right and for what it's worth that's one that i subscribe to as well right you see it in irish managing safely it comes across from an eblash point of view it's in university syllabuses this is literally a commonly agreed definition of what a hazard is right so and if you a hypothetical example of an activity someone is working on a flat top roof with no edge protection 10 meters off the floor what's the main hazard <laughs> 10 meters off the floor yeah main hazard yeah something potential to cause harm i feel like it's a trick question so technically the hazard gravity right so i said i said it was fall, falling from height right but yeah. falling falling from height. that's last year you classic i was like we're working working at height okay i asked that's your hazard right and he said no that's the activity that the, the hazard is gravity. Oh, right. 10 points for me. 10 points to James. So I was like, yeah, I mean, like te- technically it is gravity, but show me a risk assessment for working at height where someone's actually written down the hazard as gravity. Right. I'll be honest with you. I was, I was, and this is what kept me up at night because I literally kept saying to myself, I was like, it's technically, that's technically correct, but I'd feel an absolute fucking idiot writing gravity as the hazard on a risk assessment right it's not in it's i've, I've literally i've never seen one before but i, I get it right? i get it so then he said, said another one he said okay so what about the activity of driving in fast moving traffic on the motorway what was what's the, the ma- major hazard that kind of jumps out to you 
Ooh, that's a that's a difficult. That's a kind of. I I think I get where this guy is going, and I really I really like it. I really like what we're talking about here. But let, so let me let me try and get it on that same thought process. It would be the hazard. The hazards are like mega dynamic. It would be. Uh, I tell you, I said that as well. He said, "No, it's really simple." Oh. Velocity, right? So momentum oh. was the one that he said. So you're on this on the same vein as well. And he's like, well, just imagine. Obviously, if you've it's like working at height. If you've got obviously, if you, if you had no gravity, won't be an issue. Well, technically, I suppose that's a, another issue, perhaps in in some respects. Yeah, but so you could argue that one to say it would actually be the fact that it's got an unprotected edge would be a hazard. Uh, but then, yeah. But in theory, even if there was a protected yeah. edge or an unprotected edge, gravity is the differentiator, right? Gravity is the thing that's going to cause, cause the, well, perhaps it is, it's, it's the hazard, right? Yeah. It has that potential. Would you, if you were working on the moon, would you have working on height regs? I'd, getting someone from NASA on, we'll, we'll pose that to them, right? Because honestly, technically speaking, are you working at like a million miles above ground at that point? <laughs> Better question, doesn't it? So, it, but literally having this conversation, I was like, wow, blimey days. Like, I get it. I totally get it. But like, I think back to all the syllabuses that I've ever gone through. And even like in, when I did my Irish Managing Safely, right? And you literally do a classic example of a risk assessment on there. One of the things you cover is literally working at height. At least it wasn't ours. And gravity did not feature in that specifically there. And in the space of one conversation, although, you know, you kind of think about it from a source pathway receptor point of view and think, well, yeah, the very source issue with this, yeah, gravity is going to be there. I've never seen risk professionals when it comes to working at high talk about gravity. But I really like where we're going with this because I think if you if you think about it, if we constant, if we as a profession see working at height as a hazard, but mm-hmm. then our customer sees working at height as the job, yeah, we're we're already at conflict and we've not even started discussing. So I yeah. see what you do as a hazard. You see what you do as do like just yeah. normal, just normal job. So it's like I'm I'm. I'm immediately saying that your job is is dangerous. So I constantly am all, already coming from a place of OTT safety, you know, and, and it's not OTT, but I'm coming from a place of of where I'm automatically making a pre pre assumption that it's a really dangerous thing to do. And there is statistics that would say, and fucking working at height is dangerous, right? Yeah, but like. I, I I really like where, where this guy is going. If I'm honest, I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense. It, it really does. It really does. And then a part of me just sort of stepped back for a second, and then the, the next question that cropped up into it and said, "Well, when was the last time that a group of safety professionals had an opportunity to just explore that as a topic?" And I mean, like like hash it out together, just have a chat. Sounds like a PM call, if I'm honest. Well, it kind of does. It kind, it kind, it, I get it. It kind of does that. And uh, or perhaps in in this time, we should be saying health and safety network conversation, right? Yes, so, okay, yeah. Well, like corrected there, Peter. <laughs> but but it genuinely got me thinking about well, actually, when we think about what's wrong with the brand of health and safety at the moment, in the same way that we're talking about accessibility for prospective customers to to really get the answer to the questions that they have. 
or perhaps perhaps have the opportunity to dis- to, to ask those questions. Do we, as a professional community, have enough opportunity to actually just discuss safety theory or safety application in that way? No, I, and I'm, I'm going to be careful here because I don't want to. I don't want it to sound like I'm just a walking advert for for the network. But that was one of the reasons why we started the network. Well, exactly what you just said there is that. Hang on, we felt that our existing communities or memberships so to speak didn't didn't really promote open honest and potentially sometimes uncomfortable conversations i've just mm. you know i mean i'm going to do it now on wednesday i'm going to pose the question what is the hazard of working at higher let's see what the community uh in that call will say um but no i in answer your question no i don't but but i, I don't i don't want this to sound like just a walk-in advert for for the hsm no, I, I totally get that. And, and genuinely, for what it's worth, what, what I would say, and I think I said it in episode two as well, f- find communities really w- within health and safety that will give you the opportunity to have these conversations. Because honestly, I, 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 don't, I don't know how we can ever truly decide what's progressive, what's engaging, what's not, if we don't have dialogue about it. And if there if there isn't a platform to openly, freely, and confidently discuss that, well, I think we're stuffed as a profession at this point because otherwise we're going to be led by potentially that this is just going to sound as it's going to sound, but mm-hmm. highly influential key figures within safety that might not speak for the theory of safety or might not speak for the outcomes of safety that we might need to get to in order to take the next quantum leap well, how much beyond do, 1974. How much does, does the commercial side of this coming in? Like safety is a business. Oh, that, that is a great question. I mean, you, you, you literally touched upon it yourself. A minute ago when you're like i don't want to be a walking advertisement because th- there is an element of commercialism of co- commercialization that comes into hsn right the head of hat there is right it's not funded by the government it's not funded by the hse it's not yeah. funded by any sort of like public fund or educational fund from that point of view there is always going to be some form of an agenda attached to it yeah. a part of me thinks at that point is it less about commercialization and more about critical thinking and and really empowering those that are involved in that or involved in it to identify where the line is and to identify what might be just pushing it a little bit from being well something that's for the benefit of all to being something that is slightly more commercially driven Mm. have you listened to the episode i think we we put it out this week or last week with vince butler uh, no not yet it's on my it's on my hit list for later on this week you'll become a bloody skeptic after listening to him i tell you it, <laughs> um, and, and i think a lot of what vince says is is scarily on like on the nose like you're a bit like oh jesus like he is a mirror being held up to our profession um and i 
came away from it. Like I've, I've always been quite a bit of a skeptic anyways. The reason why we started rebranding safety was because we weren't, we were frustrated with what we were seeing, but Jesus Christ, like I think talking to Vince and I was just like, he asked some really kind of like on the nose questions. And there was one bit of a realization that I had. I'm going to be careful on how I say this um, because I'm, I, I don't have a problem with any business doing well. Um, I don't, mm. I don't have a problem with people making a shed load of profit. Um on anything, you know, it's each again. This is what I think ethics is a matter of perception, uh, perception. But one of the biggest issues I think we have in safety is that we an over reliance on PPE. That PPE seems to be the dominant overarching, overpowering thing of safety. That's how we think safety. We see PPE. We we yeah. Everything we do is about PPE, and there's part of me, especially after talking to Vince, it just makes me think, hmm, I wonder how much marketing has made that a thing from what is the biggest business in safety and has been for many, many years, PPE. The biggest, most profitable part of safety, I think, is PPE. And there's part of me, a skeptic in me, that says, Jesus, you know, how much space, you know, you, you posed for a while ago, you posed, I don't know, I don't know if you did it in the podcast, but you know, do we like Coke or do we drink Pepsi? Mm. Pepsi was voted as like, as, as part of a scientific exercise, it's a nicer drink, but yet yeah. Coca-Cola dominates more of our cognitive space. Therefore we gravitate towards that. How much cognitive space, how much, how much landscape in our brain is dominated by PPE subconsciously? So do you mind if I ask another question, but it's related to that? And this is going to be a two-parter for a second. Yeah, crack on. Have you ever heard of uh, Crystal Pepsi? Crystal Pepsi? Crystal, yeah, Crystal Pepsi. No. Or basically, was it, it, was, uh, was it Crystal Coke and, and Clear Pepsi? Let me just double text. I want to get this, uh, get this one right now. It was Crystal Pepsi. Right. So... We'll put a link right into the description of it. But in, in a nutshell, um, back in the early 90s, Pepsi created Crystal Pepsi, right? And it was a clear version of Pepsi that was supposed to be a, a, a like seen as a more health, a healthier alternative, if you will, to the kind of the, the black stuff that we truly know and love. And Coca-Cola assassinated yeah. Crystal Pepsi. Right? I, I mean, like assassinated crystal pepsi mm. by producing a competitor product that was terrible and by association of coke and pepsi oh crystal pepsi that's genius that took me a second when you said created a competitor that was terrible i was like what are you on about but jesus that is that is ingenious Right, as literally, yeah, it was. It, it's it's a great exercise in perhaps uh, what's effectively best for the consumer in that respect is having products that are good, that taste good, that uh, literally give more opportunity and more options. A commercial decision to assassinate something that was taking up more market share was that best for the consumer or not? No. That's a question. Now, on LinkedIn, have you ever seen two competitive health and safety thinkers 
put something out that's either similar or just overtly trash one form of safety that would effectively bring down another professionals in a way that wasn't constructive. Uh, yes, is so I've seen. I can literally name the book, but no, I'll, I'm not. I'm not going to ask you today. I don't want to. Don't yeah, cause a scene, but I'm going to. So I've seen them definitely just write material, just pure slagging the other thing. I don't know if I've seen anybody do a sh- like try and sell something that's a shit version of what they're doing just to show how shit theirs is. But I've definitely seen them just be like. You know, I've just paid a tenner for a book and gone, this is nothing but just moaning about how crap something else is, definitely. A part of me does wonder, a part of me does wonder, when it comes down to the ethics of commercialising products and services related to health and safety, is it done with the consumer's best interest in mind or is it done with commercial agendas in mind? It, it's and that it's not an answer that's not we, we can't we can't answer that right in this but well i can i can give you an insight from two perspectives so um we sell an advert on rebranding safety um mm. and that's surprisingly difficult to 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 sell and then when you're when you're so you've got you've got two you've got two problems here safety traditionally is like whatever we do is 10 years behind everyone else. So everyone's been doing social market, social media marketing or influencer marketing, whatever you want to call it, for many years now. Safety will eventually get it. Um, so we don't, we've, it's, it's hard for us to sell. So if we want to make money um, and we want to make money off of this podcast, there's a lot of work that goes into this and it doesn't pay any bills. So we're like, oh my God, we need to, we need to kind of remunerate ourselves for this effort. It's like, do we just go to anybody or do we go to anybody? And then that doesn't align with our brand of what we're trying to communicate of like proper impactful, positive risk management it's like it's like balancing up. Could we have gone to anybody? One hundred percent. Did we just sit around and wait and really get picky and choosy about who we are? Yeah, but mostly because we learned our lesson from the first one. So we kind of had to. I don't know. It's it's, it's interesting when when you when those two worlds come together. I think it's it's hard to 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 really stay clear on your aims purpose values whatever you want to call it it's difficult and because i think as a as a as a society we might we i feel, I feel like we might have demonized kind of profitability of something like we mm. might have demonized like making profit you, you can't you you're either ethical and you make no business so what you're doing is really ethical and really good for the world and that's the only reason i do it yeah and you're not allowed to make any money doing that or you're a heartless money-making machine that cares for no one. It's like, well, hang on a minute. Why can't the two worlds come together and they, those just be two extremes? Yeah. And and again, you know, for, for what it's worth, I do wonder in some ways if that as a, a, a thought process even crosses the mind of those SMEs that we were mentioning earlier. Mm. And if actually how if it if it does to what extent and actually how important is that in their decision making process for who it is that they go with yeah. it would be unfair for me to pass judgment on what that might be yeah but i i would i would love to know yeah I'd absolutely love to know so 
very much, you know, when we're thinking about, well, what does the future look like for the brand of safety? Reconciling the commercial agendas of the key players, I'm talking like the educational institutes, the awarding bodies, the accrediting bodies at an international level. I think that that, that might be one of the few things it's not an easy task but i'm not i make it it's gonna make it sound really easy. yeah just fine just agree on something unanimously fine just work quite put you in a room together and you just come out after three hours with the problem with the solution <laughs> it's just i i get the absurdity of how that might sound but again when we consider those bigger picture type of things are we a profession are we do we need some form of regulation as a profession beyond what we have as sort of the legislative regulation but for actually us as, as body as an industry as a profession do we need something mm. I, I think it's going to take a very radical radical change in order to get the answer to that and to maybe try and improve that holistic brand a little bit more like how much more radical do we need to go than like a decade of Really, no improvement in the people of people of my, people of diet work. Like health has is is probably getting roughly kind of getting worse. Health performance throughout the UK, you know, like yeah. Grenfell. I mean, what what does it, it take? It's a great question. That is a great question. Honestly, I don't know because I I, re- I, gen- I genuinely don't know. The skeptic in me, the skeptic in me says there's just too much money in in the way that we are now. There's just too much money in 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 how we are currently operating. I think that just makes me think that there are the powers at me that don't really want to push too much change. I, I don't know. It's scary. I am not a massive fan of at least not right now. I'm not a massive fan of us becoming a highly regulated profession because I think we would just regulate ourselves as we are now. (laughs) Um, And we would just go, right, you're the biggest one. You regulate us, off you go. Um, I, at the moment, are a massive fan of competition. I would love to see, I think that's where innovation sits. And if Mm -hmm. I would love to see loads more, qualifications and avenues and routes to entry for safety profession i want to see more professional bodies i want to see low i want to see tech come in and really push safety i want to see entrepreneurs look at safety and go look at this lot they haven't changed in about 20 years let's try and innovate over here um Mm. That's what I, that's what I want to see: more competition, more innovation. Because I think competition will push innovation. I mean, you look at Nibosh as an example, right? Sitting yeah. pre, sitting pre, win a monopoly on the market, give or take, for yonks, for absolute yonks, and fair play. Do you know what I mean? Any any company from a business profitability perspective, win bloody win. Like they were the Google of safety. Do you know what I mean? And then NCRQ kind of pops up out of nowhere. You know, MVQ has been sitting there in the background going, oh, we're here, we're here. And all of a sudden, then NCRQ come up and boom. It drove a bit of innovation in the manner in which we go through the qualification. Not really sure it drove innovation in the actual content of the qualification, mm-hmm. but it did, it, did, it did drive a little bit of a, 
actually, as a profession, we're more reference-based. We, we go and research stuff. Um, it's not a memory test. And so there was a bit of uh, innovation there. And look at Nibosh now. They've adjusted. They've, yeah. they've innovated. They've learned. And I think that's a good thing. What does it mean to the consumer, which would be your frontline staff who aren't safety professionals? Yeah. And what does it mean to the the board or the board equivalent or like literally your CEO, your MD? Uh, what does it mean to them? At the moment, I don't think it means anything at all because I think it was a wrong, I don't think it was a wrong type of innovation, but I don't mm. think it was for them to feel an impact. I think the competition, competition should have drove um, a change in the content or Matt, the man, yeah, the content, the content. You, you, I have very strong opinions and and really radical views on our point of entry and, and education within safety, Pete. And I yeah. think you are kind of aligned, but from different perspectives. Um, I'm probably more of an extreme way of looking at it. So for me, I, I don't think it impacts them at all positively, really, yeah. in my opinion. I would love to see more interviews with frontline staff and with kind of the, the bosses, the leaders and managers of businesses yeah. that have experienced some of these changes within safety. Like there's been some books that had come out this year that I think have been marketed very heavily towards safety professionals, but I would love to see a testimonial from the site manager or from the frontline staff that have experienced the implementation of the content of those books and really understood what how, how has that benefited them because otherwise i think we are in danger as a profession of falling into an echo chamber for stuff that kind of sounds good but actually is is quite intangible really yeah <clears throat> Hmm. Here's a, I'm, I'm going to come at you with a question after your point. Like, yeah. If do, do those business owners currently see a, a value to them as a business that is equivalent to finance, HR? Yeah. Do you think, do you think our, do you think they think our value is just as, as valuable to their business as finance? No, I don't. But I I think that there's, again, it's, it comes back to that perceptions and cognitions piece. When, when we as safety professionals at a base level engage the most amount of people with safety training, we tend to talk about the value of safety across three different areas, moral, legal, and financial, right? That, that's it. Those are the categories that we tend to stick with, but we never really explore capital return. We never really talk about the value on investment through things like productivity, resilience, retention, and success of staff, and really more of that side of things. Mm. So a part of me actually thinks that for us to really change the perceptions and cognitions of the business leaders, the managers, the CEOs of, of, of business, 
we need to really think about the metrics that we use in a completely different way. And I, I mean, what was it? Uh, you said a really good thing in one of the, the recent uh, HSN calls about uh, Heinrich's triangle basically kind of being something that is used, but it's just a bit shit, really. But it's been bastardized by just many different types of safety professional over the years to move far away from what its original points actually were. And I, I can't I, I can't remember the, ex the exact word that you used from it. But it, again, that lack of standardization, broadly speaking, around quite a common metric. Blumenek, you know, are we shooting ourselves a bit in the foot by just actually still sticking to something like that? Do, do we actually even need the triangle anymore? Or actually, should we be focusing on different types of metrics and should, should we be focusing on more of those value on investment metrics for what health and safety can bring to a business? Well, I think if you if you were to take if you were to take Heinrich's triangle as a great example, I think it's the answer to a previous question we had a minute ago was is is has the commercial agenda of safety as the business, the wider commercial business of the safety profession, uh, overpowered our ethical intent of having a positive impact on improving the safety of work. I think Heinrich Triangle is a prime example of the answer being yes, because Heinrich Triangle, in its actually originally intended um roll out according to Carsten Bush, who has kind of done the most research into Heimrich out of anybody, um, is not what we rolled out. But what we rolled out was really easy to sell. Yeah. What we rolled out was phenomenally easy to sell, no matter whether you're a consultant or a tech company. Basically, I can... All we need to do is focus on getting people on the shop floor, reporting stuff, and that, according to this triangle, will stop you killing people. That's phenomenal <laughs> easy to sell. So yeah. easy to sell. Whereas that, that's not the originally intended message. And, and I'm no Carsten. So if you want to find out the true, like the proper work behind this, then either go and find Heinrich's original work or go and find Carsten's work. Um, but ultimately, uh, I take his message of like, the things that happen, near misses, observer, whatever, all these things that happen on the shop floor, some are really subtle and some are really obvious. And the easiest way to look at them is that they're, they're all signals to something's going wrong, but you've got to find the connection. So it's yeah. not a triangle for the entire organisation. It's a triangle for each individual kind of hazard type in a way. And, and where is the connection? So you might go, I'm having loads of slips and traps. Right. What are we having? Slips or trips? We're having loads of trips. Why are we having trips? Because it's a housekeeping issue. Well, that might tell us that we might have a fire issue because yeah. housekeeping is commonly seen as a connection to fire spread. So you can yeah. see the connection. You can't go, having loads of slips. What does that mean? That means someone is going to die in a, a machine explosion. Mm. They're completely unrelated. It doesn't make sense. It is, it's kind of funny, right, in, in some ways. And we, we've covered this before in one of the, the wagon wheels, and it was with, uh, oh, God, I'm going to butcher his name now. It's the author of Meltdown. Chris Clearfield. Chris Clearfield, that's it. One of the authors, I was two. But, but that one was... of the authors, sorry. And we, yeah. we, we talked a lot about pre-mortems yeah. as part of it, right? And 
a lot of the time when we have, well, when we think about safety, it's, it tends to be quite linear on an activity basis, right? Oh, well, literally there's a hazard, there's going to be an outcome, right? Cause and effect. And it's not to say that there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but actually when we have an accident to do with that effect, we then don't really just stick to the cause. We literally have to go back. We have to do the five whys. We do the fish bones. We do literally all this kind of like root cause analysis type stuff that mm. creates an interconnected web of factors, be that your classic job factors, organizational factors, human factors, right? But it's a web. It's, it's literally, it's an interconnected web that runs backward and it can permeate very deep within a business from that point of view. But do we do enough of that as a profession in the first place? from before the accident has happened and actually try and analyze it going backward literally or upstream through processes and expand that web i i don't know if we do and so a, a, a part of me wonders if perhaps or popular safety or maybe that's the wrong term to use but maybe just that kind of that common denominator of cause and effect it's easy it's simple the barrier to doing that the barrier to entries it's, it's very low Right, it's very low because literally anyone that is competent can do that risk assessment. But actually, I, I, does it need to be more? I think another, I, but there are two really good examples of why, again, coming from a skeptic opinion when it mm. comes to safety. But like, I, th- I think the answer is quite simple. No, we don't do enough of stuff like that. We don't do enough critical thinking about how, mm. what could go wrong here. And I think two really good examples of that would be it wasn't so long ago that I actually had this mad realization but um elisa lynch had put on linkedin that the original model for plan do check act was plan do study act from Deming, and i didn't i didn't even, i've never picked that up um and i was kind of a bit taken aback by it i was looking i'd be like oh my god that's so much better <laughs> so much better i love that and i'm like hang on a minute what the hell and i look at it and i think plan do study act really hard to sell what's really easy to sell plan do check act plan your job do your job check that it worked and and then act on that check whereas study what does study mean what are we studying how what are we doing we're critically thinking about something it doesn't make sense um so oh i can't sell that so do, if we were to do plan, do, study act, a part of that for me would be the pre-mortem would probably fit into the plan. So maybe we should do more of that anyway. So, okay, oh, maybe we do risk assessments. Yes, that's the job, risk assessments. That's what it is. So we do a risk assessment. Oh, what does a risk assessment do? Well, risk assessment, we just look at what can hurt us, how can it hurt us, and what are we going to do about that? Hmm. That sounds hard to sell. Can we just do what can hurt us? Give it a number like a likelihood versus severity. We'll give it a five by five box. And that's really easy to sell. Yeah, we'll do that. And it's just a skeptic in me. It's just like, wow, there's so much we do that I think is about more about producing paperwork that shows that we're doing some kind of value, but actually very little value. Part of me wonders as an extension of that, is our current way of working with how accessible technology is and how progressive we've seen availability and accessibility of information become certainly over the last 15 years changed what should be reasonably practicable and actually is it a matter of 
marketing the difference between plan do check act or a point of implementation was it reasonably practicable for businesses to do plan do study act or actually was it more practicable for them to do plan do check act instead but actually now with how information accessibility structures finances commercialization has changed should we be changing the bar should we actually be moving it up and holding ourselves to a higher standard i think it's difficult different in attitude as well in the typically our response to i think our our response not response our philosophy of work was quite hierarchical probably quite class-based as well like Mm working class dumb and must do this and just hits hammers with things and then middle class a bit more intelligent and their managers and then the upper class really intelligent so we'll put them on the board like that's really uncomfortable to hear and to say as well i'm sitting here thinking fucking hell i hope people didn't <laughs> and think that that's what i agree with but it's not but like typically that that's kind of how how we've been i think um Rightly or wrongly, obviously wrongly, um, but that's how work's been built: is these hierarchies of like, if you're on the shop floor, you're clearly not very intelligent. Otherwise, you would have been progressed up as a manager. So we've got this attitude that the shop floor just need to be: we do the planning, you do the doing, and we'll check on what you're doing to make sure it's in line with the plan that we said, and then we'll we'll give you a little bit of a carrot or a stick depending on what we found in that check. So I don't think study works for the way that we looked and viewed the workforce which i think Mm. is slowly painfully slowly changing um and then so i don't think it's just i agree with what you're saying yeah i do think the the influx of like ai for example one of the reasons we partnered with protex was because of the ability well the the ethos behind us to how they want their product to be used but also how when you get that ethos right the sheer ability of collecting data using that ai to help me make better decisions is just phenomenal so we should hold ourselves to a higher account to your point because the tools are there for us to study as opposed to just check so yes i agree with i agree with that point but i i think it's the ethos as well so there, there are numerous just to use Protex, and again, this sounds like an advert, um, but it's not because they've already got an advert in the, in the podcast. But <laughs> if if we've had quite a lot of people approach us about, hey, we've got this AI CCTV monitoring thing that basically here's a video and they send me the video and I have a look at the video and it's just another stick to whip the worker. It's just that Pete's not wearing his high vis, and we can we can track your employees. So when the first sign that protests were doing something right was Elisa Lynch said, you need to talk to these guys and you know what Lisa's like. If they weren't good, she'd not told me to not talk to them. She'd have told me how bad they were as well. But <laughs> I talked to them. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and then that was the conversation that we had off the back of them. Like, we don't want this to be used as a stick to whip them. We want we want this to be used to help people make better decisions. Yeah. Oh, that's that's nice. That's really nice. You're somebody we're willing to talk to about, you know, helping because I think our audience will echo towards that. So yes, and yes, and yes, I think, yeah, we, we should hold ourselves to a higher account. But I think to do that, we need to see the workforce 
better as we need to have deference to their expertise gotcha so i'm gonna ask what might be a bit of a divisive question for a second then so there will be quite a there's be a couple of listeners i'm sure have just heard this conversation and are furiously shouting at their device saying but hang on a second aren't isos what holding you to a higher standard looks like isn't 45,001 45,003 what you should be looking at if you want to hold yourself to a higher standard mm-hmm. so in essence a part of me thinks then the question for you at this point James should we have a free alternative to ISOs oh a free alternative I think I think we have a free alternative I, I think you already have a free alternative I think it's called it's called uh, the Safety at Work Act. <laughs> I, I, I think I think you could do. Let, let's take let's take forty five thousand three as a prime example. Forty five thousand yeah. three. If you don't know what that is, is like the mental health version, the stress management version of of forty five thousand one. So it's a management system which can be accredited at a reasonable price to, or not a reasonable price, like a hefty price, um, to give you a badge, right? That existed for free for many years. It was called the HSC Management Standards, and it still exists to this day, and you can do it, and it's good. It's good. It's really, really good. Um, the uptake on that, 90% of people I spoke to that say, have you heard of management standards? What's that? You've heard of it. Yeah. The second that, that we get a badge on on from the British Standards community, Everything goes nuts. Everyone, I'm the first. I'm the first company to get our forty-five thousand and free. Oh, look at this! We got forty-five thousand free. It's everywhere. So I don't think it would have made much of a difference if it was free, Pete, because I mm. think companies value the badge a little bit more. Yeah. And so a part of me can't help but wonder at this point, what would a fully funded HSE? with a marketing department that took lessons from British standards look like? Oh, yeah. And what would workplaces look like for having one that had more, perhaps, education as well as enforcement? It feels, it feels a bit, it feels a bit like authoritarian or like, it feels a bit um, like the the controlled by the businesses controlled by the state, but like mm. I feel like if it was fully funded, you'd lose consultants and you'd just have HSE inspectors. In theory, would that solve some of the commercial issues we were talking about before around the ethics of of commercialization? I don't know because would it though because. All it would take is one one politically political economical issue for that budget to be cut, and mm. then standard slip. Uh, com- Commercialisation normally pushes innovation. Look, look at look at the NHS for example. There's a lot of people that would argue that a privatisation of the NHS is a good thing, and that it will push innovation and it will push competition and therefore improvement in quality of service. I am not in any way, shape, or form, going to confirm what side of that argument I am on on this podcast. Um, however, you know, there is an... I can see the sense of what some people like that are talking about in the yeah. commercialization of things typically pushes competition, 
innovation, improvements in quality, and so on. So I don't, I just think it's, if we were to look at, if we were to look at this, right, like how I would look at an organization's culture in that we can deal with, the, we can use the word culture, blah, 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 but, it, but it's really woolly. So what can we grab onto? Well, we can grab onto the interactions that people have with those systems, which is what we were talking about at the beginning of that, this episode. What mm. can we change? We can change people's interactions with safety. We can do that. Yeah. And if, if we're saying that, the commercialization of safety has meant that has meant that there's this overarching focus on profitability over impact. Then we, as a profession, have have a duty on us. Surely, if you don't like that, then have more interactions where you don't focus on profitability over impact, or understand the balance yourself. So yeah. sometimes profitability, commercial, economic failure should win the argument sometimes it should so like lose the naivety of safety first in my opinion because sometimes a business does need to take a bit of a risk to make make money mm. and should that risk mean someone loses an arm or or changes their life or dies or loses their life no definitely not but does it mean that one day it might be a bit slippy on the reception floor maybe Maybe, yeah. Like, I, th- I think we need to understand that there's trade-offs to everything, so everything is yeah. a risk-based conversation. So I don't think it's not having commercialization or having it. I think it's understanding have it, but let's make mm-hmm. more of the interactions the way that we want it to be. Yeah. Let's make more votes towards positive, impactful safety, in my opinion. And I think, you know, that that's actually quite a... We've come almost full circle at the very least end to end from one of our early conversations that we had about where where is the line how many people have to die for Mm. there to be a change at a really big level all the way down there to what at a very small even at an individual business level do we need to consider as being the, the price that might be paid attached to that it's it's this is not an easy conversation this is not an easy level of decision that gets made with it if if i might ask for a a bit of god feel free to bat it back it was going to be a shit question right (laughs) but what would you really like to see change over the next two years around safety and do you think actually that time frames is that even enough for what you might want to see if I was to pick one thing, if I was to pick one thing, I would say I think we need. Um, I think I think the the route to entry, the educational route of being a safety professional, is a complete overhaul. Mm. If I was to change one thing, two years is definitely not enough. Um, but I, I think it needs a complete overhaul. The whole thing. I think it needs to be like a unanimous standard. So like, like I think if you were to take, like, for example, and be careful not to get down a rabbit hole because we're already over an hour, but if we were to go and look at, say, IOSH's um, skills matrix or whatever it's called, if you were to go to double RSM, they pretty much have a very similar thing. You would go to any webinar and everyone will talk about the soft skills, the social skills, the cultural understanding, like 
I've, I'm told I've got a prep call this afternoon with a guy called Steve Harris, who I read, which is coming on the podcast. So, which I read an article of his in the Double RSM magazine, and it was really good. It was like proper high level strategic risk management, holistic risk management. I was like, whoa, I'm reading something from like a risk professional here, not a safety professional. Um, we don't talk about any of that shit in our qualification. Like we just talk yeah. more about hazards. Here's a hazard. Here's another hazard. Learn about this hazard. And and I just think that uh, I think if you want to see us on the board, you want to see us have proper impact and be taken seriously by the world, then I think we need to provide value. I don't think we are currently providing that much value. I think we do provide some value. Don't get me wrong, but. I think the majority of safety professionals that provide value is just because individually they've taught themselves a lot more than what the qualification uh, taught them. Mister, for God's sake. Uh, that's the door at home now. I mean, deliveries have we had today? I thought Maggie had come <laughs> home five times in a row. I was like, oh, Maggie's home. Wait, Maggie's not home. <laughs> um I, I think I think a lot of safety professionals have done phenomenally well in doing the qualification, becoming a safety professional, and then learning how to be a safety professional. I, yeah. don't, I don't think that's good enough. So for me, if I was to see one thing change, it would be the route to entry and the education of, of safety professionals. I completely understand where you're coming from from that it's that kind of the, the comparisons like when you uh, learn to drive mm. you're not really learning to drive you're learning to pass your driving test yeah and then you learn how to drive right afterward how many how many times have you heard that analogy used to explain the education of a safety i've heard that so many times oh doing your and, and i use knee wash as an example because it was the main the main like monopoly but i think they're all the same you know ncrq has driven some innovation like i said but not on the content content's yeah. still the same um and i just think i just think if we if we're saying that about our own thing our own qualification should we not be doing something to change it like do you know that's i think that is a very fair point no matter which organization it's related to no matter what's going on for even from a purely just human point of view taking acknowledging and actioning feedback has to be there it has to be there so i think no matter what happens yet yeah, the acknowledgement of feedback on our approaches to education has to be recognized and it has to be actioned and it has to be tangible yeah. In terms of how that's fed back to people, a hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree there. And then the, the but then there's part of me, the, the skeptic in me, that's like, does that need to be re regulated? Because how much of that is just like, oh, let's do this qualification because this will sell. Or is <laughs> like, you know, should we be doing this qualification because this is what we need? I, I don't know. Like, I, I I think personally, I did I did the NCRQ diploma. And I thought the last section of that, there was a chapter about 15 pages on fire, which I thought was more dangerous than it would be to not have it, hmm. in my opinion. But I think you put it in there because you feel like fire is something we need to know about. But uh, I just, I don't know. I just I read it and I was like, like, it's nowhere near this simple. You can't fit fire management into like, in, into this and I just I don't know I don't know but and again 
I could say the same about loads of stuff. I'm just picking on 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 those few, um, which is probably unfair. But yeah, I think yeah needs a complete overhaul in my opinion. I, yeah. I won't say anymore. No, again, I, 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 already <laughs> for what it's worth. I think, as you say, there has to be some form of innovation to no, no matter what happens, just make it contemporary to make everything just what it needs to be at the moment in time with a look ahead to the future as well. It has to be if something is outdated or not applicable, what value is it going to add from that point of view? There has to be iterative improvements. And also, like, how much, like, I, I, there was no, so, so, I, I use the diploma for the NCIQ as an example because that's the one I've done. I didn't do the NEBOSH diploma. Mm-hmm. I did the NCIQ. Um, I spat my dummy out for many years and refused to do the diploma. Um, so when NCIQ did theirs, it was about the time that I was like, fucking hell, I better do it. And I, so I did it and it was great. But the first book I really enjoyed, the second book was was really good. And that was really like case study based. And it, it felt like I was doing evidence-based study and I was going reading some some actual studies or, or report like proper legal reports of like this is what the judge said or this is what the what the case was presented as and blah 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 I'm like wow this is this is really good this is like evidence-based safety wow and then when we get into the safety stuff it was like well there was no like here's some studies of of what of what cultures within organizations look like here's some studies of what risk management practices look like here's some studies yeah. of human factors here's some studies of like just none of that there was no science like all of this new view stuff all for me all that's done is introduce academia into the conversation which i think is a very good thing whether you pick one side or the other it really doesn't matter like i don't think there is we're, we're pulling the wrong thing out of this and there's a lot of commercial marketing that's gone to, into that as well which has not helped but i think if we can take one thing away from behavior based safety hop new view is that let let's just let's just be a bit more evidence based let's let's yeah. use things that we can put evidence to to say i think this works i completely agree uh, it, whenever we talk about kind of safety, generally speaking, we want to be led in. So, well, not necessarily led, but we want certainly want to consider all of the evidence that we can, without getting that kind of like analysis paralysis type of approach to it. We become overwhelmed by the sheer amount of information that's in front of us. But there has to be something that that, that we action. So for, for what it's worth, the the thing that I would change is somewhat similar, but slightly different at the same time. I. Think that from a, a syllabus point of view and from an education point of view, no matter what qualification at what level, there should be something about how a business operates. Like literally, how just a, a, a business module, something that literally just talks about this is how a business works. This is finances. This is literally operational business performance. Yeah. Right? But at the end of the day, fundamentally. If that's sales, it's marketing, it's commercialization, it's accountancy, whatever that's going to look like to some degree, I think that all safety courses would benefit from some form of business acumen attached to it. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And conversely, the opposite way around, I would absolutely love to see like uh, enterprise startup schemes that are, are somewhat funded by the EU and the UK government have a module on health and safety that has been agreed with at the minimum by 
IOSH, NEBOSH, CIPD, and a selection of effectively representatives from health and safety and business. I don't think you'll ever get all of those people to agree, but... And I know, I, I appreciate I appreciate the complexity of that, but fundamentally, for the sake of just standardisation, more than anything, if there was something that could just be agreed, so we could say, right, someone who is just starting their entrepreneurial career as a solopreneur, a business owner, a business leader, what would we want them to know about what health and safety is? Curiously, I'm curious here, why IOSH and not RSM? Just as a, and, and I am a member of RSM and not IOSH, but I'm just curious, have we got a Coca-Cola Pepsi issue in our own? Maybe, maybe it is. And for what it's worth, it's literally those are the first two that have jumped to my mind. Yeah. When I've kind of because I, I hadn't prepared an answer for, for the question in the first yeah. place. So it was literally <laughs> the first two that jumped to mind. And I'm not, I do want to stress that this isn't saying that I double IRSM is like the panda pop of the of the <laughs> like the, the health. I do really want to stress that it was literally just the first two that jumped to my mind as part of it, but it's an absolutely fair point. Absolutely fair point. I just I don't I think that that's where this awkward relationship with like the commercial side of it all comes in, isn't it? It's like, mm. okay, yeah, yeah, 100%. But like, this, I have a I have a unique relationship with IOSH, but like, yeah. they just, I just, and, and again, the, the HSE, you know, their their science division produces some amazing work, but their enforcement division doesn't seem to match their own science division. So the whole thing is just flawed. You know, it's it's a it's a very it's a very good point. And again, you, th- there was a slight absence there from what I mentioned about the HSE, the HSL, um, local government association, <laughs> environmental health. Like, there's there's so much that could kind of be brought into it. The question is obviously who decides what that line is. Yeah, where, we know where, where does it where does it finish? In some ways, would it be better almost for the HSE to kind of look at a module like that? And then stamp it with approval rather than being the the one that defines what should be included in it or not. I don't know. I don't know. But there's there's so much complexity with it. But again, bringing it back maybe to its common denominator, the earlier that we can engage from an educational point of view with business owners, with entrepreneurs, with people literally at the very start of their career to say, hey, this is safety. It's literally not all about enforcement. It's not all about paperwork. It should be people focused. Mm. The the better, I'd say. Mm. That's difficult, isn't it? Because it's like I could talk about this all day, but like it's there's part of me listening to it. I'm like, well, let, let's remove the paywall. But then I'm like, but if you remove the paywall after years, I'd be great in the beginning, but like eventually it just becomes stagnant because it's that commercial side of things that pushes things to be better. So, yeah. It's, it's, it's phenomenally difficult, it's phenomenally difficult. And everyone's like, okay, but we need a standard approach to your point, so we need it accredited. Who's going to accredit it? Well, we've got IOSH, but IOSH are a commercial organisation. They're not for profit, yeah. but still a commercial organisation. Okay, well, well, what makes them any better than RSM? Fine, we'll go to RSM then, Jesus Christ. But they're, they're exactly the same. They're a commercial organisation. It's just like, it's just a freaking minefield. It is. And then you ask yourself, well, actually, we're just thinking UK-centric at this point. We haven't even covered things like the CSP, the EC. Sorry, there's a lot of acronyms there. The, uh, oh, God, the, the, I can't remember what the C stands for. It's the Safety Professional Body. 
or some sort of, of accreditation process in America and EC being the European Commission. <laughs> yeah. Well, because at the end of the day, uh, do you know, the amount of, was it, uh, God, I was thinking of 852 for a second as the one that springs to mind from the uh, EU, but I don't think that's going to be the right one. Uh, I'm not going to Google it, but long story short, literally, what what do who who would need to be involved in something like that? And again, how, how do you stop the complexity that comes with such an interconnected web of needs? And at what point does it become just unachievable to make those changes? It is probably way too a bigger question for us to have been like, 90 minutes into the <laughs> sorry i didn't even see the time blimey days no, it's good well i never used i don't i don't time but like i don't time the the conversation but because if it was up to me i would sometimes not all the time because you never know who you're talking to but sometimes i get on these conversations and i'm like i just don't want this to end and i've already been talking like two hours anyway um but i, I have got in this case, I have got a timer going because I was curious as to, I can't turn my freaking iPad on now. <laughs> okay. Right. One hour, 26 seconds we've been going. Um, and this is definitely a way big, too, uh, too big of a question for one hour, 26 minutes in. Um, but I, but I want to go there for a little bit. What about the role of the consumer in all of this? Like, do you know what I- do you know what I mean? Like, if you what, what if you had on a product, and and again, it, it, it's easy for you know, get like Dolphin Safe, and we've all watched, we probably all watch that, but like, this is a Dolphin Safe product. No, it's fucking not. It's just I paid for a badge, basically, you know. But iOS forty five thousand one, you can you can get iOS forty five thousand one to the letter of the standard and be a pretty shit company, BSI or, or whoever will probably. I hate that I said that, but but you can. I'm sorry, you can. Um, but you can do it within the spirit of that standard and be an amazing company. Like it's a really yeah. good standard. And there it's like, oh, I've gone through it numerous times and I went through it again not so long ago. Um, because customers uh, got it and I was like, I'm gonna re- refresh myself. So I printed it out again, went through it, and I circled one bit in it, and I was like, I put a note on it. I forgot how good this bit is. Like it's really good. Yeah. So we put that on a product, but then we put it on a product and loads of people will get it. But like, I don't know. Like, I feel like as people, like we're sitting around waiting for the HSE to do better, waiting for the government to do better, waiting for IOSH to tell us to do better or, or be better themselves. Like we can, we can fucking drive it. We can be better. We can demand better and we can just do better ourselves that's a little bit of a, a uh, that felt like a moment i'm going to put my i'm going to put my soapbox away now i'm going to, sorry about that I feel no, like- you don't don't apologize for the soapbox i think it's a really powerful point a very powerful point the i'm, I'm gonna say something that might be slightly controversial have we empowered the consumer to care enough about the safety of the employees and the businesses that they buy from. No, because how, how do you know? Like, ah, you, So you... My, my question for you then, because I'm going to jump in at that point, when was the last time you used Just Eat? Um, Friday, or like Uber Eats or something. Friday night, Just Eat, had a kebabs. Have you ever checked the ratings from a food hygiene point of view 
of that business using the food hygiene rating scheme? No. So when you click on to like just eat or Uber Eats and you click onto the business and you like click on more information, it will show you the scores on the dot, right? From that point of view, it's literally a star rating out of five, but it's all about the food safety, food hygiene. Yep. And a lot of these small businesses will use kind of something traditionally called safer food, better business, SFBB. Yep, yep. That's a pack for literally complying with food safety and food hygiene requirements. Right, <laughs> you follow the pack, you're going to do all right. Right, pretty much, pretty much. To that point, a part of me thinks, actually, would it be better focusing on pushing a scheme like the food hygiene rating system for safety that we can fund local authorities to identify at a site level, give them a score, and basically make it mandatory for them to show what their score is in a public way. Like they kind of do in Wales with the food hygiene rating scheme where you have to have the scores on the door. And actually, would that accountability at a small and medium enterprise level push more conversations, dialogues, and means about safety in the workplace? more so than we might get from a, a more of a top-down enforcement approach from the likes of the HSE. Mm. I, I, I can't help but wonder. A part of me thinks it would have a significantly beneficial impact if it could be funded in the right way. Because at the moment, it'd be your environmental health officers that'd be pushing that, and they are stretched, mm. to put it bluntly. Um, yeah. uh, so uh, maybe... Maybe there is a public sector solution, but we just haven't explored it yet. Mm. Mm. Then we start talking about the relationships of politics and all of that. Oh, yeah, no, I totally, 100%, 100% get you there. But I, I, honestly, I think the more accessible and digestible outcomes that a consumer can easily understand and recognise the quicker and the better we will see consumer-led action happen that will result in safer workplaces. If you get a zero star or one star, you can guarantee there's going to be a local newspaper article about it, right? I mean, yeah. you've probably seen it on Facebook, literally all of the one star restaurants in your postcode, right? God, bloody hell, imagine if that was the same from a safety point of view and you found out that there was businesses in your area that weren't doing the basics of keeping people safe. What would that mean for you? What would that mean for where you chose to shop? Well, one day, Peter, we may see. We may see. Um, but unfortunately, I have a call in 10 minutes. So, Well, do you mind if I finish it with one one bit then? Go on then. Okay. Um, first, I'd just like to say thank you for genuinely everyone that is listening to these three episodes. It has been a, a phenomenal pleasure to explore these three different areas. So thank you very much for listening. James, thank you very much for, to you for giving me the opportunity to come on and talk through this with you. I've absolutely bloody loved this conversation. I honestly have. I'm actually quite enthused to see if there is something maybe, hey, who knows that we could do around trying to just get, get these changes happening at quite a grassroots level. Mm -hmm. And certainly if there's anyone listening that's thinking, Bloody hell, I want to have some of these conversations. I genuinely, I want to talk about the different types of hazard. Bloody hell, is it gravity? Is it working out? What does this type of thing look like? Find your communities. Absolutely reach out. Go out on LinkedIn. Find it. 
but 100% without wanting to do a bit of a plug as well, please do have a look at the health and safety network as well. Um, in my experience, I've absolutely loved having these type of conversations in that network. I'm a big fan, big, big fan. I think the more of them we can have, the better we'll be as a profession. So certainly do check it out. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, um, PTM Jenkins. That's P for Peter, T for Thomas, M for at a very embarrassing final middle name, Jenkins, uh, that you can find literally just my LinkedIn profile that way. And I genuinely would love to have a conversation with anyone about safety or just progressive leadership in general. And I'm sorry, but we cannot end now without knowing what your embarrassing middle name is. No, no, I said it. And then I was like, I need to get James to edit that out. One day, one day, James, you will know. Maybe I'll give it to you as a Christmas present. I'll let you know. That needs, you cannot say I've got an embarrassing middle name. <laughs> Not tell us what it is. Come on, is it like Sorry. Marjorie or something? I'm not even going. I'm not even going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. I'll tell. I'll, I'll not tell you right now, but I will tell you at some point. I promise you, I will. You're like shit. shit. <laughs> so yeah, James, you can just go and go back. Just, just edit that bit out. Just, just, no. just sharing, no. please, please. <laughs> um, but I'm genuinely been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for this, James. Thank you very much for coming on, mate. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. There have been some heavy conversations, but it's been really good. And this this last one, I'm I'm glad it went where it where it went, if I'm honest, because I was slightly concerned. You know, you said it at the beginning. I was slightly concerned it's just gonna be a fucking moaning match as to as to like yeah. the, how shit this profession is. And and there are there are a lot of us that do some amazing work. And I and I just think we we have the power, do you know what I mean? Like we like do. We yeah. can drive better if we want better. And uh, and I've, I think the conversation has been really good, actually. So thank you very much. I've enjoyed all three episodes. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you as our quarterly co-host, mate. Uh, your email address with the embarrassing middle name. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone listening, if you can find out what that is first, the winner will get bugger all, but we will celebrate <laughs> you as, as the person that finds out Peter's mystical middle name. Um, and we'll put your LinkedIn down there as well, mate. So Cheers, you can... thank you. Thank you very much for your time, mate. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, brilliant. Me too. Thank you. And enjoy your days and happy holidays, everyone as well. Oh, yeah. Merry Christmas. Forgot about that. <laughs> okay, peeps. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thank you very much, Mr. Jenkins, for being our quarterly co-host. If you want to be a quarterly co-host or you want to come on the podcast, just drop us an email. Um, my email is in the description below, James at Fluent ltd.com um, if you've got something interesting you want to talk about you've got something a journey you want a story you want to tell whatever um, you've got to want to tell us about how you solved a problem whatever it is we can either have you on a courtly co-host we can talk about it over three episodes if you've got an idea like you want to kind of interview people you can three episodes here just come on and I'll, I will support you we've got all the tech we'll do all the hard work all you've got to do is find the people you want to interview Whatever you want to do, you can come be a quarterly co-host or you can come on here just to have a general chit-chat with us. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And like I say, thank you very much to Mr. Jenkins. Um, every link and everything we mentioned in the show will be in the show notes below. And if you need any support from us, go to riskfluentltd.com. All the links in the description below. Catch you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. 
No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson. (laughs) 